0: For the next four weeks, we are going to be studying the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter. And uh, we have this uh, series entitled, Light in Darkness, How Jesus uh, Pierces the Darkness of the World. And what I want to do is, I want to start tonight by reading the first seven verses of John chapter 9, because that is the first section that we're going to read uh, and study. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give an introduction, kind of explain Uh, lay the foundation for this study for the next couple weeks, and then we'll get into the first part uh, of the study for tonight. So John chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and you follow along as I read. So John chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1, let's read these verses. The Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And as his disciples asked him, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground. And made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. And he made this statement, I am the light of the world. This is the powerful statement that Jesus made about himself. And he made this statement about himself at least two times. During his public life and ministry. The first of both records, which are in the Gospel of John, is in chapter 8 and verse number 12. And then the second record we just read, chapter 9 and verse number 5. This is one of several, what we call the I am statements of Jesus, that are in John's Gospel. Jesus said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the bread of life, I'm the living water. These are the I am statements of Jesus. And just like those other I am statements, this I am statement had major significance. In fact, if we back up so that we can fully understand the implications of what Jesus was saying, if we back up to that first instance that's recorded for us in chapter 8 and verse number 12, the Bible says, then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When Jesus made that statement, and when he made that statement to a predominantly Jewish audience, there would have been a particular way it would have been received. In the same way that when he said, I'm the bread of life, and in the same way when he said, I'm the living water, these were clear and obvious references to Israel's past. These were clear and obvious references to the work of Jehovah God in their midst. And so when Jesus makes these claims, they know that what he's making is a claim to divine authority. He's saying, I'm God. And in chapter number eight, what happens after Jesus makes this statement from verse 13 all the way down to 59, which is the rest of the chapter, what we read is a defense from Jesus of his claim to divine authority. And it's in direct response. I mean, if you were to read the rest of chapter eight, the Pharisees say, we get what you're saying and you're not telling the truth. And Jesus said, I know you don't like what I'm saying, but I am telling the truth. And Jesus goes on in chapter number eight to lay it out really beautifully, both the cultural implications of what he was saying and the theological implications of what he was saying. And there's a whole lot there. And the reason that I start with that is because it's an opportunity for us to talk about the importance of personal Bible study. Because while the cultural implications, all the imagery that Jesus was referencing when he said, I'm the light of the world, and the time that he said these things, the Feast of the Tabernacles, I mean, there is so much that you can study there. But we're not going to study that. right? But I commend that subject to you for Bible study because it's fascinating. And then there's so much that we could study Not just the cultural implications, but the theological implications. What it meant for who Jesus was, and who God is, and what that means for us. And I commend that study to you, but we're not going to study that. We could talk about the cultural implications, or the theological implications, in chapter number 8. But when you go to chapter number 9, that's where the subject of interest for us over the next few weeks is found. Because there's these cultural implications, there's these theological implications, and then there are these personal applications. There are these real-life examples. Because if Jesus explains in chapter number 8 what it means that he's the light of the world and all of the implications involved, what he does in chapter number 9 is he gives us real-life examples. Hey, guys. He gives us real-life examples of what it actually looks like. For Jesus to be there in detail, drawing from the Old Testament. See, he says, I am the light of the world. And the Pharisees say, we don't buy that. And he lays it all out there in detail, drawing from the Old Testament. See, Jesus' defense in chapter number 8, it ultimately culminates with an incredible statement. Chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. So what what it culminates in chapter number eight is just a very clear claim, not just to divine authority, but divine nature. But what Jesus does in chapter number nine is he's like, "This this is what this means. I am the light of the world. But let me show you what it looks like in real life. I'm gonna show you what being the light of the world is all about. And what's so cool about chapter number nine is it's not just real life examples that we can look at and say, man, that's wonderful that Jesus did that then. Because Jesus wasn't the light of the world back then. Jesus is the light of the world today. And the same way that he brought light into the darkness of culture then, he's bringing light into the darkness of culture right now. And so when we study chapter 9 and see these real-life examples of Jesus bringing light into the darkness, what we can do is take the truths that we read and study there And we can apply it to our own life. We can see the ways that Jesus wants to bring light into your life, into my life, into the lives of those that we love who don't believe, into the lives of those around us. We can take these truths and principles and apply them to right now because Jesus is the light of the world. He wasn't, it's not he was the light of the world. He is the light of the world. So what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to see practical examples from chapter number nine. So each week is going to be two examples. So we'll start with the first two, which are found in verses 1 through 7. And then we'll make our way through the chapter. So what are the first two examples of Jesus bringing light into the darkness? There are two that we're going to see in verses 1 through 7. The first is he brings light to the disciples. We see contrasting perspectives of Jesus and the disciples. The disciples have a blind spot, and Jesus is going to bring light. He's going to see that they're thinking is not complete, right? And then, probably the most obvious example of Jesus being light is he's going to heal a man who's blind. He's gonna literally bring light into the life of this person. So let's start with the contrasting perspectives of Jesus and the disciples. How does Jesus bring light to his followers? Let's read verses two through five again. The Bible says, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, That he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, what we see when this chapter begins is Jesus and his disciples come across this man who's blind, and immediately, There's this interaction between disciples and Jesus. And in their words, they reveal their perspectives. The perspective of the disciples, like you and me, is a limited one, right? They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the full understanding. And they reveal it by the things that they say. Jesus will give them a different perspective, right? He will invite them to think differently about what they're seeing and and really challenge them to faith. And he challenges all of us to faith. So Jesus is the light of the world. How does he help the disciples see the blind spot in their thinking? The perspective of the disciples. So the disciples make the assumption that this man's situation is the result of sin in his life or sin in his family. And this reveals the very limited perspective that they had on the relationship between sin and suffering and God's blessings. Now, if you're like me, you'll read this story and you'll think to yourself, man, These guys are jerks, right? I mean, they walk up on this guy. He's had a difficult life. He's blind. According to scripture, he's been that way since birth. He lives a hard life. And the disciples go, hey, Jesus, so what gives? Is it him? Is it his family? I mean, who messed up? Because, I mean, he's blind, and that's bad. So that must mean that he's being punished for some sin in his life or in the life of his family. And when we read that, we think to ourselves, man, how cruel and callous can you be? But before we're too hard on the disciples, I want us to challenge ourselves in two ways. The first way is this. The disciples did have some reason to feel this way. Right? The disciples had certain influences in their culture and in their upbringing that brought them to a point where they had this kind of limited perspective. What do we mean? Well, in Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, right, there is a basis for the law, right? And here's what the scriptures tell us. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him for he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. The disciples were raised in a culture that would have taught them there are blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. And let's just say before we go any further, that's still true right? That principle hasn't changed. There are blessings for obedience, and there are cursings for disobedience. But it's important for us to remember that by the time Jesus comes along, there has been a significant gap between true worship in Israel, and there are these guys going around, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they have had a major influence on the way people think about God and about faith. And one of the things that they have done is that they have convinced people that outward appearance, right, what people can see, what they can measure, what they can quantify, that that is the mark of God's blessing and favor. And so because of that, and because of the stories the disciples would have heard about their forefathers being punished by God, and again, God does bless obedience. There are cursings, there are consequences for disobedience. But what Jesus is about to do is he's about to help them see that that's not all there is to the story. That there's more, that if we would have the faith to believe in God's sovereignty and in his goodness, that we can actually see that sometimes, even difficult things, God is working. So the first way we need to challenge ourselves before we judge the disciples is that they have a reason for thinking this way. But the second way I want us to challenge ourselves, and this one's a little more personal, is that if we're honest before we judge the disciples, we think the same way, right? And the same way that the disciples had their view and that it was influenced by their culture, Christians living in America in 2023 have similar views, and it's also because of our culture, right? The culture has influenced the way we think about what success is or what blessing is, right? And so, We don't associate things like hardship or suffering or difficulty with the blessing of God. We just must assume, I mean, if if these things aren't going well, God must not be blessing me. Maybe he's abandoned me. Maybe I don't have enough faith. And the truth is that sometimes the difficult things in our life are God working. Now, we can't always know that or understand that, but God is always working. And he's going to challenge the disciples don't think that way. Don't have such a limited perspective on suffering. Do you have the faith to believe the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel? Right. This idea that if I believe it, I can receive it. If you name it, you can claim it. And listen, there's no question that God wants to bless his children. He's a good and faithful heavenly father. But when we associate faith and spirituality and blessing with physical blessings, when the physical blessings don't come, we think God must have forgotten about us or that he's abandoned us. But when we read the New Testament, when we read what Jesus has to say, when we read what uh, the, uh, the life of the apostles was like in the book of Acts, what we see is a different picture, a picture in which God is working in and behind the scenes. So Jesus is the light of the world. The disciples give their perspective. And aren't you thankful for a God who's patient with us? Jesus spoke to the disciples in a way that they needed to be spoken to sometimes. But so much of the New Testament, when they said things like this, Jesus responded with grace and patience, and he does so again here. What does he say? If you look back at the text, he says, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Jesus says, fellas, put the brakes on this a little bit. Right, I know it seems cut and dry, but there's more going on. There's something deeper. There's something that you can't see. It's not him. It's not his family. He's blind for this moment that God might show himself powerful in his life. Now, before we go any further, this is one of those stories where I just would have liked to have been there. Because if I was that guy, I'd have been like, what now? Like, back, the, back up. Like, this is it? This is the moment? Like, can you imagine being that person and hearing from Jesus? This is it. All of it was for this moment. Right here, right now. And that's exactly what Jesus says. G- Jesus' perspective, in a contrast to the disciples, which was limited, was an eternal perspective, right? It was a perspective that invites us to trust that God is sovereign and that God is good and that he can work in ways that we cannot see. It's a a perspective on suffering and difficulty that says, yes, things are hard, but God is always working. God is always moving. Before we associate spiritual blessing with physical blessings, why not instead have the faith to believe that even when things are not so great, even when things are hard, even when we're experiencing things that we could have never imagined, God is always at work, that he doesn't abandon us, that he doesn't forget about us, that he is moving and that he is working. That's the kind of God that we have. Amen. There are a couple of passages in your notes that I want us to read. One, I have the reference listed, but I didn't write it down because I want us to turn in our Bibles and look at it together. Right? It's Luke chapter number 15. Uh, Chapter 12, we're going to start in verse number 15. Luke chapter number 12. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's teaching them about these very things. So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to explain. You guys might think that physical blessing equals spiritual blessing, but that's not always the case. Luke chapter number 12, verse number 15. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. If you go down to verse number 22, Jesus, he'll tell a parable to illustrate this truth. And then it picks up in verse 22 where the Bible says, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap which neither have, uh, have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them, how much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cupid, if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least? Why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye that what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Does that sound like a vision? Of a, of a spiritual life, where the emphasis is all on physical blessings? That doesn't sound like that. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added. Will God bless faithfulness and obedience? Yes. But when we make physical things, tangible things, like health and money and career advancement and success, when those things become what is the evidence of God's blessing, when they don't happen, we doubt and we struggle. But the truth is, what Jesus invites us to is a life of faith. What Jesus invites us to is a life of outside the camp. right? Jesus invites us to is a life that sometimes is marked by struggle. But is there uh, in that struggle the comfort of the presence and the promises of God? That's the kind of life that he invites us to. Solomon, uh, kind of through Solomon went through that exact thing, right? Where he... Had um, a a, a time in his life where the emphasis was on the external, and he began and he learned very quickly like vanity of vanity, all is vanity. What we see in the book of Acts and then in the life of the Apostle Paul is the further um, confirmation of this truth, right? What is the life of the believer supposed to be like? Paul says in Philippians 4 9 through 13, these are in your notes, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full And to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Right? The context of Philippians 4.13, such a familiar verse to us. The context is contentment. The context is sometimes God blesses in physical ways, in tangible ways. And sometimes he does not always bring about the physical or tangible things that I would like to see. But he's always good and he's always faithful, and he's always working. The way that Paul explains it to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, what we're about to read is some of the most, all of the scripture is powerful, right? But as I was studying in preparation for these these messages, there is some power in what we're about to read, right? We we just want to let the word, the Bible says, thy word is truth, sanctify us through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Just let the word of God do a work in your life right now. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal." This is the life that Jesus has called us to. One in which we have the faith to believe that he is always working. Even when things look very difficult, Jesus looked at his followers as he was preparing to die and he said, in this world you you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. God is always working in ways that we cannot understand, sometimes it's difficult to see. As we think about the ways that Jesus has brings light to us, invites us to have an eternal perspective and not a limited perspective, I want to make two applications. One is a very specific one, and it might not apply to everyone in the room, at least not directly, but it might apply to you indirectly. And then the other application is more broad. So the first application is this. When I read this story... What we see is a situation of a man with a very serious physical disability. And maybe you're in this room, and you have a serious physical disability. Maybe it's something you were born with. Maybe it's something that that you now experience as a result of life. Here is the temptation. Sometimes when we face this kind of trial, a very unique kind of trial, or maybe you have someone in your life that's facing this kind of trial, there is a temptation to feel like we're broken and we're worthless. When we read this story, what we see is that God can take anyone and he can work and he can use them. Amen. And I want to encourage you that if you're here in this room and you feel this way, or if you have someone in your life that you know feels this way, we are accepted and loved by God and he can use us, Amen. right? And, and God makes no mistakes. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And for those that are going through that kind of particular trial and tribulation and testing, God is faithful and good. And you are his creation, loved and accepted and usable in his hands, right? So that's a very specific application. But let's back up and think a little bit more broadly. As we think about The disciples' perspective is simple. This is bad, so it must be because of sin, or God must have abandoned me. And Jesus says, that's not always the case, right? I can take what's bad, and I can use it. Now, here's what happens sometimes in our lives. Sometimes either we're going through difficult things, or people we know are going through difficult things, and what we try to do is sometimes sanitize it and spiritualize it to the point where we can't really be honest about it. You know, some of you are going through difficult things, or you have people in your life that are going through difficult things. And let's just be honest. They, they are horrible. They hurt, and you want it to stop. And there's nothing wrong with feeling that, right? Sometimes we run the risk in church. We just got to have faith. We got to have faith. We got to have faith, and that's true. But if you're going through a difficult thing, it's okay to acknowledge you're going through a difficult thing. And if it hurts and you hate it and you want it to stop, guess what? It's okay that it hurts and you hate it and that you want it to stop. And so we're not robots, right? We're, God created us with feelings and emotions. So you feel everything you've got to feel about the trial and testing that you're going through. We're not going to try to throw all the cliches at it. But when you read this story, that's a God who can do things even in the most difficult of things. Yep. And so we, we trust and we believe. That doesn't mean that it's easy. Some people in the room, I know some of what you're going through. And you might be in the room and I have no idea what you're going through. But I know this, that God is sovereign, that is he's in control, and that he's good. And we can trust him. He's working. The disciples' perspective, it's bad, this is bad, so it must be bad. Jesus says, think eternally. I'm at work. There's always something happening. And God can do something to bring great glory to himself. And guess what? That is why you and I are here. That's why we're on this planet, is to bring God glory. And may he work and use us to bring him glory. That's right. So he brings light into the darkness. The disciples. But the second way, and probably the most obvious way that he brings light into darkness, is the healing of the blind man. Verses 6 and 7, we'll read it again. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. After challenging the disciples to think differently about the relationship between sin and suffering and the blessings of God, Jesus then turns his attention to the person in need. And in an act of great compassion, Jesus heals the man. And in so doing, it gives us a beautiful picture of the work that God wants to do in the life of every person. There are really two ways we want to think about the healing. But there's one part of it that I want to make a couple comments about. Because again, it gives us an opportunity to talk about Bible study, right? The areas that we want to lean into are different. But one area that sometimes... Garner some interest is what in the world is up with the spit and the clay and the, that whole business, right? What, what is Jesus trying to accomplish here, right? So here's a, a great lesson in Bible study, all right? There's a couple of things, right? But a good principle when you're studying the Bible, interpreting it, I want to understand what something says. There's a principle about making a distinction between what is descriptive and prescriptive, right? What we mean is there are some things when you read it it's describing to you what happened, right? And then there are other places where you are being prescribed an act or an action, right? Something that you're supposed to do. This is descriptive, right? It is being explained to us what happened. In other words, and I'm sure Pastor Tony is thrilled that I'm not saying like we're supposed to be, if if you spit, put it on their, on their knee or whatever's hurting you, right? This is the way that Jesus did it. Now, there are so many ways that we could dig into what the possibilities are. Do you want the simple, boring one first? Yes. Right? Lay it down. Jesus knew that the Pharisees were going to get upset no matter what. Right? But he used a process that looked a lot like how someone makes clay. And clay making was a profession. It was something that people did for a living. And it was an example of something that you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath day, right? You're not supposed to do that kind of work on the Sabbath. And later, when he's telling the Pharisees, he told me to, well, he spit on the ground and made some clay and stuck it on my eyes. Man, they were upset about that. Why would he do something like that on the Sabbath? So the simple and kind of boring explanation, but a pretty plausible one, is that Jesus did it that way for the purpose of exposing the Pharisees for who they really were. Right? He understood what, kind of what the response was going to be. And he knew that instead of being you know, excited that somebody who was blind can now see, they were all worked up because you're not supposed to do that kind of thing on the Sabbath. And so there's a very, very good reason to believe that that is the way that Jesus did it. Now, are there some other implications? Are there some other imagery? You talk about how when God created man, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He took the dust of the ground and made life. And so Jesus is, is, is giving another demonstration of his deity, his divinity, by basically recreating that moment. That's kind of cool, right? I've heard that suggested before, right? So there are plenty of possible explanations for what Jesus did. What, do you, what does Pastor Matt think? I think he knew how the Pharisees would respond, and he was messing with them, right? Amen. In the best possible way, he was messing with them. Now, If he loved to mess with them. And if you want another really interesting study, study the significance of the spit in the ground and the clay. All right? But moving forward, what are the areas of this part that we really want to lean into, right? Well, first, there's the healing as a picture of salvation. This is obvious, right? Jesus puts the clay on his eyes, says, go and wash. And he goes and washes. And a man who was blind from his birth can now see. And what an unbelievable picture of the work that God wants to do in the life of every person. Everybody that has not believed in Jesus is spiritually blind, and they need to be brought to the light. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God that someone who is spiritually blind can see. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Man, that's good news, isn't it? Jesus has brought light. If you're here this tonight and you are saved, you were in darkness, now you're in light. God. Because of the Amen. work of God in your life, because of his grace. You know that family member? that drives you crazy with the things they do and the way that they live? If they don't believe in Jesus, they're blind. Do you treat them like they're blind and they need light? Or do you treat them like they should know better? When we're lost, we're spiritually blind. We're in darkness. And what people need is light. And what I think we sometimes do is we try to lead people through the dark instead of bring them to the light. We want people to try to act the way they're supposed to. They can't see where they're going. We need to help them. We need to lead them to Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't take stands and we don't stand for our values and our principles. You need wisdom in those things. But what people need more than anything else is what you have and what I have. It's the grace of God. It's salvation that comes through Jesus alone. He brought from us from darkness to light, and that's the great need of every single person. And it is a beautiful picture of salvation. And that's the kind of Christian we ought to want to be. Somebody who says, I want to sh- show you the light. I want you, to- I want you to meet my Jesus. He's the light of the world because he's the one that can make the difference in people's lives. We can't. He can. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. It's a beautiful picture of the work that Christ not only wants to do, but can do. And whoever you're thinking of right now, it'll it'll never happen. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. God is a miracle-working God that brings people out of darkness and into the light, and he can save them. Some of you are here tonight and you've been praying for a long time. Don't stop praying. God can do it. He can bring people from the darkness into the light. So Jesus is the light of the world. Right? He brought light to the disciples. Now he's bringing light to this, this blind man. It's a beautiful picture of salvation, but it's also an example of compassion. So Jesus is going to show us what it means to see people in their need and to meet people in their need. This is who Jesus was. Right? Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Mark 1, 40 and 41, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Again, if you've ever seen The Chosen. I mean, this show about the life of Jesus, if you're a Christian, this is a spiritual experience, right? And when Jesus heals this man, the, the way that that moment is depicted, I mean, it is a shouting and hallelujah time if you're a Christian. I mean, it is awesome, right? Don't get anywhere near him. Jesus, stay back, right? Unclean. And he's like, come here, man. Come, on. come here, buddy. And puts his arms around him, and boom, he's clean. He's healed. Why? Because Jesus had compassion on people. Jesus showed us what love in action is all about. What it means to see people for who they are, to see people is in their need, right? We are tempted in the world in which we live through the influence of culture in our flesh to see people as problems, to see people as projects, to see people as this, to see people as that. The way Jesus showed us is to see people the way he sees people, people in need. Listen, you can't meet everybody's needs and I can't meet everybody's needs, but we can ask God to give us a heart of compassion for the people in our world, for the people in our life. He can ask God to help us to follow the example of our Savior. He saw people in need. He loved them. He cared for them. He did what he could for them. And I want to encourage you to have that kind of heart of compassion for people, right? to try your best to help people as much as you can, right? And let God use you. And listen. No act is is too small, right? Sometimes we feel like, man, if I could do this or I could do that, but there's little things that you can do in your life, in your world for the people that God has given you and he's blessed you with, acts of compassion, acts of love and kindness that can make all the difference in the world. Don't underestimate what God can use you to do in the lives of the people he's put in your life. Ask him to give you a heart of compassion, right? I have never been to Disney World how many of you have been to Disney World? Jealous, right? I've been to Disneyland, you know, the smaller one in California, but I haven't been to Disney World, right? But I hear in Disney World there are hidden Mickeys. How many of you have ever heard of the hidden Mickeys? You've seen the hidden Mickeys, right? You've got to be on the lookout, right? They're not always easy to spot, but if you can see them, there's some kind of significance to it. I don't know, right? But the idea is that they're there, They're there if you're looking for them, right? We live in a fast-paced world and we've all got stuff going on, amen? All right, we've all got stuff going on. But see, sometimes we think, man, I'm not living in sin, I'm not doing these things. But if the devil can get get us with blinders on, he'll take that. He'll take that. If he can just get us looking like this and motoring on by and missing some of the little ways. And again, I'm not talking about big things, right? We think we got to do big things, right? The people that God has put in your life, your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members, and the needs that they have, some of the simple needs, just someone to ask them how they're doing, just to text them and say, I'm praying for you and I care about you. That is what compassion is all about. That's where it starts. And you might think to yourself, I don't know, Pastor Matt, I don't know where I'm at in this journey. Then start with a simple prayer. God, I see in your word the very clear example that you give me to be a person with compassion. Just give me that heart. Just for the people in my life. Jesus is the light of the world and he shows us what it means to live with compassion. There's one last passage of scripture I want to read. And man, this one's a doozy. Are you guys ready? This is our final. We're on the home stretch, right? 1 John three sixteen through 19. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. All right, let's stop. That's the illustration, right? That's the example. Hereby perceive we the love of God. In other words, we know it because we can point to this action, right? We perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. But God commendeth, he demonstrated, he showed us his love, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we see it. That's the example, right? We keep reading. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we have an example, an illustration. Now we have an instruction. This is the command. That's what we ought to do for one another. We ought to lay down our lives for one another, right? The idea is, sacrificial living, right? In the context of this passage of Scripture, he's talking about our brothers and sisters. And so again, it's not about going super far and finding some needs way off in the distance somewhere. It's about your neighbor and your brother and sister in Christ. And he said, so the example is our Savior. He laid down his life for us. The instruction to us is to lay down our life in that same way, to have that same kind of compassionate, sacrificial living. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the part where it gets uncomfortable for me, right? When I study this passage, when I read these verses, because we have an example and we have an instruction, and now we have a warning. Verse number 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So the question he has to ask us is this. If we just are doing our thing and we're missing the opportunities that God puts in front of us, how is that possible? Those of us who have experienced the love of God. Those of us who have been saved, those of us who have been who have been cleansed by his blood, those of us who have been changed, those of us who have received such mercy and grace. How dwelleth the love of God in us? That's convicting, isn't it? That's challenging, isn't it? And he said this is how we know that we're of the truth. Now you know what's comforting about if you continue to read that chapter. Make no mistake, your standing before God, my standing before God, it's not dependent upon me. Thank thank him for that. Right? I'm not holding myself on. I'm not holding myself. He's holding me in the palm of his hand. And sometimes I fail and sometimes I'm not what I should be, but God is always faithful and good to me. But what he challenges us with, what he invites us with here is to just ask ourselves this question. How can we who have been changed, transformed, and touched by the love of God, live with such indifference in the world. And I can tell you one of the ways we can is because sometimes it's difficult to help people. Have you ever helped someone and was on the receiving end of not their gratitude, but their hurt? It's easy to become indifferent to people. And if I were to stand up here and tell you, man, every time I've ever helped someone and then they've thrown it right back in my face, I've just just walked away from that like, Jesus is all the world to me, and I'm fine. That's not how I've been. (laughs) There have been times where I'm like, good for nothing. The last time, that's it. The last time I'm going to help anybody. And then I read verses like that, and I just have to say, God, you're in control. I have to remind myself that he is good and he is faithful. And you know what else I'm blessed with? I'm blessed with people in my life, God has blessed me with, brothers and sisters in Christ, who will come alongside me in some of those moments and say, it's okay. It is worth it to live the life that Jesus has called us to live, to love people the way he's called us to love them, to do the work that he's given us to do. It is worth it because he is good and he is faithful And we are doing the right thing. My grandparents pastored a church in Michigan. And they had a family in their church. See, they were, things were humming along and then lots of economic turmoil. So a lot of people in their church lost their jobs. So they had a family in their church. Their family had some kids. And their family was having car trouble. know what I'm talking about? Right? So, you know what I'm talking about. So my grandfather says to my grandmother, "I feel the Lord is leading for us to give one of our vehicles to this family." And my grandmother was like, "I don't think the Lord's leading us to do that." <laughs> but Grandpa said, "I really do think it's the right thing to do." So OK, we're going to give them this car." So they gave him a car. A couple months later. They got sour about something, like people do. And they got so upset that they were just done. Leaving the church, right? Grandma and Grandpa are following them out of the church, pleading with them, let's try to figure this out. And they pile into my grandparents' car. And they peel out of the parking lot. Gravel flying up into the air. Grandpa, <laughs> he's like, gravel, and there they're going off into the distance. In their car. What are you supposed to do when that happens? Go to, Bob Evans. Go to Bob Evans. Get yourself something to eat. Right? But I just remember, and I just remember my grandfather over and over again when he would tell that story. Like, I had a decision I had to make. I was either going to say, forget it. Or I was going to keep on going. And my grandfather is still going still preaching, still trying to help people, still trying to do what he can to serve the Lord. And the thing is, sometimes there are going to be people in your life you're going to try to help, you're going to try to do the right thing, and they're going to drive away in your car and leave you standing in a parking lot somewhere. And you know what you need to do? You go find the next person and give it to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that that's an easy thing to do. And some of you have been hurt real bad. And I'm praying for you. Know that I don't, it doesn't, it's not a light thing. This, the, the spirit of this is not get over it, right? Because sometimes it hurts and sometimes it takes time. But I do know this, we have one life, one life to live and we need to live it for Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I've got to do the work of my father because the night is coming when no man can work. Don't let how messed up people are keep you from loving them and serving them the way that Jesus has called us to love them and serve them. Because it's right and it's worth it. So Jesus is the light of the world. He brought some light to the disciples. He brought some light to this blind man. And he's still bringing light today.